following is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters, two microphones, and one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Break, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. Let's go. It's Let's go. Thursday. Football week, ETSU, Samford, homecoming, the big Southern Conference tilt, Mercer and Chattanooga, the Furman Paladins at VMI. And Citadel, West Carolina will play as well. That being said, some big, big, if you are wanting to get playoff talk, this is a big week. Furman has to win at VMI. Sanford clearly needs to win the homecoming game here in Johnson City. And Mercer and Chad, I think, won't be hurt by either team losing. But certainly the team that wins could have an inside track. No offense to Sanford and Furman, but they could have an inside track to the Southern Conference Championship. Mm-hmm. Now, Sanford still gets to play both, so they got a shot. But Sanford clearly on the road needs to pick up a win. Furman on the road needs to pick up a win. Western is going to try to score. Will the Citadel get over 20 points because Western gives up a lot of points? I don't know. We'll talk about that in a minute. We're going to talk ETSU Sanford first because, you know, we're going to slam ETSU uh, whenever possible. So, my thing watching Sanford is, and I, and I have been open on this podcast, on radio shows, on a broadcast, on anybody who listen to me, that Sanford is disinterested in winning. They always are worried about, we are the number one offense. We score more than anybody in the country. Look at us. We score. We score. We have yards. Oh, we're the best. We're the best. We're the best. And then they finish fifth every year. <laughs> now, I'm go- I've- I try to give credit where credit is due. Sanford is doing things to win, and it makes them dangerous because they are not going – Warp speed, let's score 1,000 points and try to outscore everybody 55-52. They're winning with defense. And they're doing it by holding teams in the red zone to 40%, 42%, something like that, percent in the red zone on touchdowns. We saw Western Carolina have something absurd like 500 yards of offense, but no touchdown, four field goals. Mm. That is what they have done. They brought in a new defensive coordinator. They brought in 10 FBS transfers. Chris Hatcher's not going his warp speed. He will pick his spots, and they will go fast. They are running the ball 47% of the time, which is a record. I did not go back and look at Moorhead State, Georgia Southern, and some other stops that he's had, but I'm going to go on a limb and say that's a record for him because that's not really who he is. But he has figured out a nice winning formula to get his athletes the ball in space, Put up 28 to 35 points, and his defense will bend but not break and able to win games. So this is a very dangerous Sanford team that for the first time I feel like is a true threat because they are not just trying to outscore teams. They're trying to beat teams, and that is the biggest thing to me that jumps off the page, Keith. They're just better at – I don't know that they're necessarily better in the trenches – like their offensive and defensive lines are necessarily better, but they are better at running the ball with consistency and stopping the run with consistency. They are over 100 yards per game better on rush defense than they were last year. Their pass defense jumped from eighth in the SOCON to fourth, pass efficiency defense. Um, But their rushing defense per game, they are a yard and a half better per carry on the ground rushing defense than they were a year ago. And you and I were talking about this, and it feels like this group now actually has, and they haven't always had to use it, but this group actually has a four-minute offense now where if they need to run the football to help salt a game away, they can actually do it, where before, they really didn't. Now, Sanford will still use the short pass game like your classic 22 personnel, you know, smash-mouth football team will use the run. Right, you run, you run, you get the safeties creeping into the box a little bit more. You start to cheat to to keep the ball in front of them, limit any potential explosive plays, and then you hit them over the top. In your conventional team, it's a play action shot. Here, it's bunch them up, run trips one side or the other, run trips to the the field side, and then have a wheel route that streaks down the boundary, wide open guy, boom, thank you very much, chunk play. Um, so it's a little bit different, but they have the ability now 
when they need to run the ball to run it and not look like they are uh, playing football for the first time. So it's it's a very different Sanford group. It's a very talented Sanford group across the board. I, I love their receivers that are all, like none of these guys, or at least the guys that are, are catching a ton of passes, like Chandler Smith is like 5'10". Uh, their second receiver, whose name just immediately escaped me, he's like 5'11". Um, you're talking about Kenna Watson? Ken, yeah. Or are you talking, because Ty King's only tall. Well, you are, because Ty King's only tall one of the group. Everybody else yeah. looks the same. Yeah, everybody else, like they're all really small guys. They're not going to be big bruisers except for King. And they just, they just, uh, they run really good routes. And they get the ball in space and they utilize speed and, you know, they're all kind of the same type of player and they do a great job of getting them balanced. This isn't like the, like the 2018 team, I think it was, where Duck Hodges threw to Kelvin McKnight like 140 times. This is not that Samford team. It's much more balanced and balance is not, I will, I will drive this hill. I will die on this hill. Balance in an offense is not run versus pass. Balance in an offense is how many different players you get the ball in the hands of that can make uh, you, that can make an impact for you. Get the ball in the hands of a lot of different guys. Utilize your running back. Utilize two or three receivers. Do that in a lot of different ways. Bubble screens, jet sweeps, uh, quick hitch routes, uh, all the different things that you can do. That's when your offense is balanced, is when you have the ability to have multiple players make an impact on the game in multiple ways. And this is probably the most balanced Samford offense since at least 2017 and maybe of Chris Hatcher's tenure. They're really, really just... There there aren't a lot of glaring weaknesses on offense and defense. Now, special teams... Special teams a little bit different. I believe they had the lowest field goal percentage in the SoCon. I think they're like two of five on field goals. They've had some miscues on punt return and kick return, but that's something that hasn't really mattered for them because they haven't played a ton of games where they've been sitting in tight situations where they needed a field goal. They've been able to find a touchdown. Tennessee Tech, I talked about this, I think the very first show that you and I did together, Jay, I thought Sanford played like hot garbage at Tennessee Tech. They made all sorts of mistakes. Uh, they were sloppy with the football, ton of three and outs. And you know what happened? They found a way to win anyway. That's when you know a team's good is when uh, not just, you know, they're balanced on offense, they're effective on defense, whatever their scheme and personnel are, they're effective at stopping the run and, and still limiting the pass and doing all the things you need to do. But also when you play bad, and you still find ways to win games. Especially games that, I mean, given the situation, might be kind of difficult to win. You know, you're on the road. Tennessee Tech still had some hope at that point early in the season that, hey, maybe this year's going to be a little bit different. Spoiler alert, it wasn't. Uh, that That is a, a challenging game to win when you need a touchdown on the last drive of the game. And they found a way to do it anyway. And that's when I said, okay, We've seen Sanford at their worst. We probably haven't seen them at their best yet. This team's probably going to be pretty good this year. You look at the plays, and I'll go back to 2018, what you are talking about with Duck Hodges. They averaged 80 plays a game. Last year, they averaged 75 plays a game. This mm-hmm. year, 65 plays a game. So Four they still offense. go fast. Four they still offense. go fast. They're still getting yards, but their defense – and I'm going to transition here, they always put their defense at such a disadvantage because they would score and jump out to these big leads, and then the, their own defense would get tired, and then other teams would adjust and be able to – you know, usually Sanford, the first couple – not this year, but they've had trouble scoring on the first couple drives, but generally you look at Sanford and the first couple drives because people you, – you can try to practice against speed, but you can't have any scout offense to run it at that precision that fast and know what they're doing. It's just tough to replicate. So it takes teams usually a series or two to adjust to the speed. And then generally things kind of calm down, but they may be up 7, 14, nothing. Well, ETSU was able to force a couple turnovers last year. So ETSU jumped out 14, nothing. Then the second half was that wild shootout. The fourth quarter had 46 points between the two teams. And ETSU ended up kicking a field goal as time expired. Matter of fact, the last two minutes, ETSU scored a touchdown, took the lead. 
Sanford came back, scored a touchdown, take the lead with 56 seconds. ETSU got down the field, kicked the Tyler Keltner field goal, got the overtime. ETSU scored, uh, I think it was the first play of overtime. Uh, Quay Holmes just bull rushed, or it was the second play, one of the two, but just carried like five guys into the end zone because Sanford guys were tired, and then ETSU held um, uh, on a fourth down play, able to make it and pick up the victory. But this year, Sanford's having trouble scoring early. But the big thing is their defense is a bend but don't break. They don't care how you go from the 20 no. to 20. Zero cares. But when you get towards the red zone, it is unbelievable when thing gets in a smaller space that they are very good at not allowing you getting in the end zone, kicking field goals, and they are so confident, and they should be, in their offense and how they're able to score, that they are going to score enough points if you kick field goals. And as an ETSU fan – you should know if you kick field goals and the other team scores touchdowns, that's not a good sign because this is a matchup where ETSU is the worst team in converting touchdowns in the red zone versus the best team that makes you kick field goals in the red zone. So advantage in red zone, you'd have to go Sanford because they score better than ETSU and they hold teams to field goals where ETSU doesn't hold as many. So this is the best versus worst case scenario. And to me, it comes down to simple math. ETSU is going to be able to drive the ball. Mm -hmm. They're going to be able to have chances to score. Can they score touchdowns, Keith? That yes. is the big question. That's the big question, and it's, like you said, this is a team that has been able to rely on Tyler Keltner to its own chagrin. You know, George Quarles said, we're really good to kickers, but we'd rather they be kicking extra points right now than, than punts and field goals. Um, that is something that has to happen if ETSU wants to win this football game. And if ETSU does score touchdowns at a rate that is better than what they've been doing so far this year, and probably significantly better. I mean, we're talking like, what two out of every three red zone trips here you got to you got to get in the end zone to beat Sanford that's going to be difficult but that's just what you have to do to beat a Sanford team that's having a really really strong year and is in position to contend for a Southern Conference title and I will remind you uh because this is possible it is still in play for the time being depending on what happens with Chattanooga and Mercer in their other games uh, Sanford has never won an outright SoCon title. They won a share in 2013. I believe it was a three-way tie. So they have opportunity. This team's coming off a bye. They're fresh. They've probably thrown in a couple of new things that they may or may not feel the need to utilize against ETSU early. Uh, maybe you do those things and put them on film and make Chat and Mercer sweat. I don't know. But um, this is a very interesting team in an interesting position but they have a clear strength that matches up with a clear weakness of the past of your team. And if you find a way to mitigate that weakness, you give yourself a chance to win the game late where Tyler Keltner can replicate the J.J. German magic from back in the day. Speaking of Keltner, and that's where I was going to go, so it's almost like we're dancing here, but 10-12, last three games from field goals. That's really good. That's all-American numbers. The problem is from it's, 49 against Mercer, right? Yes. Yeah. And the problem is, though, he's, he just used to attempt a 12 field goals in three games. Like that's, games yeah. that's, that's the bad part. Matter of fact, Tyler Keltner from 49 and in is 13 of 15. He has three misses, all three at 53 yards. I found odd, but normally, you know, you get a 51, a 53, 54, but all three of his misses, 50-plus, is 53. But 49 and in, he's 13 of 15 which is pretty hard to argue. Um, and it's great because that is a weapon. He's certainly, you know, he's hooked a couple of those 53-yarders, but he's 10 of 12 in the last three games. He was four or five last time. You're getting points on the board. But I'm sure if you ask Tyler Keltner, he'd rather be kicking extra points, you know, because that means his team has a sure. better shot to win. And Trace Kelly had a great game punting. ETSU special teams continues to be special with a couple of block punts, a couple of big kick returns. Matter of fact, there was a kick return by Jacob Sailors last year in the fourth quarter. It kind of jump-started a stagnant ETSU offense where ETSU was up 11, all of a sudden 20 straight points by Sanford. And then to get to the fourth quarter, and then it was just, you know, a game of can you top this, you know, back and forth. And where we saw a rare uh, Tyler Rydell scramble for a touchdown. He hit uh, Isaiah Wilson for a long 60-some yard bomb. Again, the um, short, uh, or not short, but the big kick return by Sailors was able to get ETSU in scoring position. Montreal Washington, who's now playing for the Denver Broncos, was by far the best player on the field that day. No offense to Quay Holmes and everybody else, but – he ran the ball, he returned kicks, he caught the ball, he was unbelievable, showing why he's in the NFL right now, yep. returning punts. So uh, it's a little different. Hires is not necessarily 
the level of quarterback of Hodges and even Liam Welch, but he does what Sanford wants to do in that offense, and he's very good at it. 16 touchdown passes, two interceptions. I think the only knock I would give him compared to the other quarterbacks, even if you go back to Oladokun and a few others that have taken snaps, is on a couple of chances to hit deep balls. He's missed on those, but all the other reads and short passes and screens and all the things that they like to do, he's very good. He's completing about 70% of his passes, so he's doing what he's supposed to. If he hits a few deep balls moving forward, again, this dangerous Sanford team that's averaging about 30 points a game, throws a few more on the board, they get to 40, and the way that defense is playing, it's going to be hard to beat them. I don't, I don't care if it's Chad or Mercer. I agree, and I do think Sanford is a playoff team based on their resume to this point, um, especially if they do get a win over Chat or Mercer. I think you. I'm not 100% sold that they need to win either of them. If they win one, I think they're safe because it's going to be a really, it's a really deep bubble and you're going to have a stronger resume than just about anybody out there, especially from this part of the country. It's just head and shoulders above a lot of the big South schools and all that. So uh, I, I say you get one more really good one you win the games you're supposed to win. After this, you're playing the Citadel and VMI, so you expect to win those games. And then it's Chat and Mercer at the end of the year. You win one of those two, I think you're in as, as Sanford. But they they have to believe, and are right to believe, they have a shot to win the Southern Conference Championship this year based on the way things have gone for them so far. They they won their toughest game against Furman, beat their toughest opponent. Uh, Kennesaw State was ranked. Turns out might not be that good. Uh, at the well, and they year. played Tennessee Tech. They need to beat Tennessee Tech. They had to beat Tennessee Tech, and they did it. And the fact that they did it, it doesn't matter that they won it by five. It just matters that they won it. So um, I, I look at this group, and I say this resume is it's, it's, it's a bubble-ish resume right now, but you never know when the bubble is going to collapse. And if the bubble collapses, Sanford is going to be in a very, very, very advantageous position going into the final two weeks. Well, to your point, if they were just to lose the last two games, they would be eight and three with their three losses. Georgia, I heard they're pretty good. Yeah, I think they might be good. Yeah, and then would be Chad and Mercer, mm-hmm. who would probably at that point be in the playoffs too. So they, they would, would be have lost. Safely in. They would lose the two playoff teams and the number one team in all of college football. So I don't know how they that they would eight Division one wins would have to get them in if that's their only two. Now lose DTSU, somehow get tripped up versus a military school. Maybe they lose to Chad or Mercer. Now things get a little murky. But if they roll into Chad Mercer undefeated in the Southern Conference, honestly, I don't I don't think they have to win both. Now maybe it's a situation where. A lot of teams get past the seven-win plateau, which is not traditionally what happens at the FCS level. But let's just use this as a what if. And they got unbalanced blo- schedules. <clears throat> and then they got blew out by Chat and Mercer and looked awful. Then maybe, maybe not. But if they got undefeated in the Southern Conference, win the next three at ETSU, at Citadel, home against VMI, I don't think it matters uh, if they beat either one of those two teams. And I, yeah. and and then at that point. You know, depending on what Furman did, that could murk it up again for a Southern Conference. Or, and depending on, you know, win, loss, Mercer, chat, what they do. You know, even if they lost that, you could have a three-way tie with two losses or a four-way tie with two losses. That's still conceivable to have the rare four-way tie, two losses, and then who knows what's going on as the automatic qualifier. And then could the Southern Conference get team. Anyways, we are going to start breaking down bubbles and chances yep. moving forward on Wednesdays. So I don't want to do it too much right now, but yep. you get where I'm going with that. I, I do. And somebody asked on Twitter yesterday, um, what would happen if Mercer wins out? Is that the good Fer- doctor? Yeah, my the guy? good doctor, Dr. Stone. Big Furman Paladin guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mercer wins out and Furman, Sanford, and Chad all have two conference losses. And the bubble is so deep this year that I don't want to think about that. Because uh, a, <laughs> a lot of people, here's the thing a lot of people are going to get mad at that outcome because you know exactly what's going to happen. You know exactly what's going to happen. I don't even have to say it because look at what happened last year. That's exactly right. We had a dogfight, 2-3-4, ETSU won the Southern Conference title outright at the end of the year, last year, last week of the season, and how many of those teams in that dogfight got in? None. So, don't. Yeah, this, this needs to be a little bit cleaner than that, I think. I think you. I think if you want two teams in, 
then Chattanooga and Mercer. And I'm greedy. I want three this year. Yeah, I I, I would like and this. To, this is the best I mean, year for it to have a shot too. And I I would like to get four. I just think Furman is disadvantaged by having played the non-counter against North Greenville at the beginning of the year because they have that one less data point that's going to knock them down the pecking order, that initial pecking order. And then you go pick through the resume. It's like, well, okay, if you beat Chattanooga, mm-hmm. that helps. If you beat Chattanooga and Mercer, well, at yeah, that point, yeah, you're winning the yeah, SoCon. Yeah, and, so you're in, and you're in. Yeah, you're, you're in yeah. as the automatic qualifier. But if you win, I think you got to win one of those two games at least in order to have a shot to get in. And even then, you're banking on New Hampshire's fluffy 4-0 and coming apart. You're banking on um, whatever happens in the Wax Sun Challenge that there's one clear team at the top of the, the weird power ranking thing that they're doing. Before the Tarleton game, it was Stephen F. Austin. And then Stephen F. Austin lost to Tarleton. And I haven't seen the power ranking since if they have updated it. I don't know if they have. I would hope Austin P's at the top of it right now. But... Uh, they could do some some real shenanigans that try to massage things into getting more uh, at large bids or multiple bids. Um, so there's just there's so much uncertainty on the bubble right now with a month to go in the season uh, that we got we got a lot to figure out. But um, I think four is a long shot. Three is doable. I really think I hate to say it. I think it's more likely the SoCon ends up with two. I really do. We're going to talk SoCon in just one second. I want to finish one thought before I totally for lose it. You know, I got a little okay. ADHD here, so if I don't spit stuff out, I forget it. But third downs, again, continue to hamper ETSU. And this is a situation where I think they you can get into third up. and meet. I know, I know, I know. I have to. But if they can get to third and short, I, I think they've got an opportunity. Plus ETSU, four for four on fourth down. I'm curious – because at this point, you're not playing for a championship. Do you roll the dice more on some fourth down situations? And this is just pure speculation. Coach Corals does not strike me as the old riverboat gambler a lot, but I'm curious in a game at home, homecoming, you're trying to build some momentum. ETSU has, I think, a good opportunity if they can knock off Sanford this week to go to Wofford and win, get a bye week, then hopefully – hold serve at home against a very talented Western Carolina team offensively. And then obviously Mississippi State's Mississippi State. Maybe you make some noise. Maybe you just, you know, try to have a good showing. But to try to win the last three SOCON games, have some sort of momentum going into the offseason, I think it's simple stuff. They have to convert on third down. They've Mm -hmm. got to get to a situation to do it. They've got to score touchdowns in the red zone. Defense and special teams have to continue to just do what they're doing. If defense especially can do what they're doing, they get third downs, they get touchdowns, it's a simple game, Keith. I think ETSU can be successful. If not, then they're going to have to rely on the defense and special teams to try to carry the load again to, to hold a, a Sanford team to 24-ish type points and see if ETSU can figure out how to get, I don't know, seven field goals, eight field goals from uh, Tyler Keltner at that point. Going to need to ice his leg after the game. So. Hit the SoCon bumper. Let's do it. Normally, you start with the best. I'm going to end with the best. I'm going to save Mercer chat for the last yeah. uh, little bit. Let's let's start with I, Furman's going to VMI. I have no idea who's going to quarterback for VMI. I think it's uh, Roberto coming off a 252 day, uh, some ridiculous numbers. Huff only threw 10 passes, seven complete, three for touchdowns. Furman offensively is pretty darn good. Coach McCutcheon's got the offensive line rocking and rolling defensively. They don't do a lot to hurt themselves. I mean, is there any reason not knowing who VMI is going to play? And if VMI doesn't play a healthy Seth Morgan or a healthy Colin Ironside, is there any reason to believe the Paladins are going to struggle? Uh, can Furman bring a cake to this game and walk around it? Because that's basically what this is going to be. Okay. Just uh, Then uh, Citadel, West Carolina. Citadel still struggles offensively. I'm on uh, green. I know I said I would watch. I'm actually that's, I'm going to watch it Friday morning. Uh, mainly because I want to watch some more Sanford tape, but did not see Amon Green and if he was pulled for uh, ill effects or if he was hurt or whatever. But if Green's able to go, I think they can pick up yards because West Carolina can't really stop anybody. 
but there's no way Citadel can keep up with the scoring paralysis of the Catamounts. I think Catamounts will find a way to put 40-plus on the board again, and I think it'd be a 40-something to maybe 20-something type game for Western Carolina. Call a week cakewalk next. All right, so now that's it. We already talked to DJ Sanford. So we go Mercer and Chattanooga, and I test me watching both teams. I think Mercer is a more complete team and can win the game. Where I want to pause is because Chattanooga is very good at running the football and controlling the clock. Their front three are the best in the South period, no matter what league you want to throw in there. I believe the front three is going to be able to contain some stuff. The question is, can Mercer do enough to get on the edge with the jet sweeps and the little bubbles and their throwbacks and get Chattanooga kind of off balance? And can Fred Payton be able to bootleg enough without maybe Chattanooga say, hey, Jay Person, here's what I want you to do. Just go straight for Fred Payton. We believe the front three guys can maintain the front. You don't worry about anything else. Just go hit Fred Payton. That would be, for me, for Chattanooga, a game plan to try to get – because when Fred Payton did have somebody around him, he's not a very good thrower. Who is? I don't know. But when he's able to roll out and have time and they've got speed, I think he's going to be able to make the right decision and make the right throws. This is a cat-and-mouse game for me that is more about Furman's offense versus the front really four, not the front seven, the Mercer's front four. Offense. Well, whoever. Mercer's offense against Chattanooga. The front four – of Chattanooga, how they can contain or slow down the Mercer Bear offense, which is working at a high clip because they do so many different variations to get Devron Harper the football. That's the big thing for me because I think Chattanooga is going to be able to get a limb forward to be able to run the football. Hutchinson's going to be able to make enough throws that I think they're going to put up a 24 to 27 points on the board. Mercer, to me, is still capable of putting 30-plus even against Chattanooga, but I could also see a scenario where Chattanooga maybe only gave up 13 points. What say you? Mercer is a team that um, has an answer for everything you do on the other sideline. They have a built-in answer for everything. You want to stack the box – Okay, we'll run play action to Ty James, who we know can win one on one. You want to, um, you know, you you want to try to pin your ears back and come after a quarterback. Okay, we'll run screens and jet sweeps and bubble stuff and get the ball out in the flats and make you have to wait to come after the quarterback because the ball will be out by the time you get anywhere close to him. Uh, Mercer has an answer for everything that a defense will throw at them schematically. And that's a big part of why they put 55 on a really good ETSU defense last week. Defensively, I think this is a group that is really good at tackling and that's what you have to be to bring a limb forward down and make sure that he doesn't go off against you. And it's something that a lot of teams in the SOCON aren't that good at. Mercer is. This is the best coached team in the conference. And because of that, they have the ability to check your best weapons, to neutralize your best assets, and to make you play the game that they want to play even on your field. I think Mercer's going to come into this game with a ton of energy. They're going to come into it with a sense of purpose because they were in this situation late in the year last year. They had to go on the road and win a big game to have a chance at a SoCon title, to win a SoCon title in that case, but to have a chance at a SoCon title, I don't think they let it slip away again. Now, for Chattanooga, you have to be more explosive than you were. You can't come out in the first half and play like you did against DTSU. If you play like that, like they did, going down in a 13 nothing hole against the Bucs, uh, they're going to be down in a 28 nothing hole against Mercer. You have to hit some explosive plays early. You have to put Mercer on their heels. Uh, and then once you hit those explosive plays, you have to follow through. And it's really difficult to do both. But you just got to execute it at an extremely high level. And 
Hutchinson's going to need to take some shots down the field that maybe haven't necessarily been there for him or are necessarily his strongest suit early in the game. Later in a game, you wear down the defense a little bit. You know, you get the safety help creeping down into the box to try to, to bottle up Ford. And you can get some one-on-one matchups where you get some of your, your good dynamic receivers uh, in, in favorable situations. You're going to have to try to force that earlier in the game against a team like Mercer. And I just don't know that Mercer is going to allow that. Okay, well, let me ask you this, though. If Chattanooga starts at midfield on average every possession, how does that change your thinking? Because do you feel like from 50 yards and in, Chattanooga or ETSU is better? It's not a trick question. I think it's I pretty mean, easy. Against again, you're going against the defense that like that. That's the that is the the element here because on paper I would say Chattanooga is better, but also you are looking at a Mercer defense that has done its film study, done its homework. It's again, it's a supremely well coached unit. They are going to be able to make schematic adjustments to neutralize your best weapons. That goes back to what I'm saying. Mercer has an answer for everything you try to do. And so I don't know that it's going to matter a whole lot. Chattanooga is going to be in this game in the fourth quarter. So if that, they do well, the things that they, that I said they need to do. That's still my question because Yes, ETSU scored to make it a five-point game with 10 minutes ago, but like four plays later, it was back to double digits and Mercer could do what they do. If Chattanooga has a lead in the fourth, we've still not seen Mercer have to make plays when trailing in the fourth quarter. They're still leading ETSU by five. They've not had to make a play when trailing. And they are great. There are teams that are great from playing in front. Peyton Manning used to talk about why they took the ball first because he knew – the Colts, when he was the quarterback, were much better playing with the lead than coming from behind. There are certain quarterbacks. Now, that doesn't mean, obviously, he had a, a large number of come-from-behind wins, so it's not like Peyton Manning wilted under the pressure. But I'm just saying there are teams that are built to play in front because you can do more things. They've not had to caution in changing a game coming from behind. So that's really what I want to see. What exactly are they going to be able to do if it gets to that point. Now, I still say Mercer is the better team, or at least in my mind, I think Mercer at all facets, looking at all things, I would give a slight advantage. I'd be curious to see uh, what the wise guys say as far as who is favored, or do they just go with the generic, hey, Chattanooga's minus three at home. We'll see how this plays out, two evenly matched teams. I think if Chattanooga can have great field position like ETSU, and if they start inside the 35 like ETSU did on four different occasions, I'm thinking there's 28 points on the board as opposed to ETSU was only to get 20 on the board. And those extra eight points I think would be huge in this game. Now, I'm not saying they're going to be able to get four possessions inside 35. I'm just saying if they do get that opportunity mm-hmm. and Mercer's not very good on special team, I still don't know what they're trying to accomplish on the kickoff. I, I have zero idea on that. But if Chattanooga is able to get near midfield or start at the 40-yard line almost every single possession, I think that gives Chad a bigger advantage. If they back Chad up to the 25-yard line and they have to get the extra two, three first downs to get points on the board, I think that's a huge advantage for Mercer. I think field position for me is the biggest, one of the biggest things in this game with two equal teams. I also think Mercer schemes for more explosion. They scheme for the explosiveness. They, I mean, Chattanooga wants to run between the tackles and grind clock with a limb forward and wear you down and just roll down the field three, four yards at a time. Mercer is a team that that deliberately says, we are going to be explosive first. We're going to put the ball in the hands of James and Harper first, and then if you can stop that, then we'll figure out something else to do. Um, we're going to talk about what the wise guys say uh, I think in our next segment, let's go picking the best games of the week, or at least the ones these two dorks want to watch. Nerd! It's the pick six. You pick that up all by yourself. All right. I had to get in a sickos game here. We had to get a sickos game in. Okay. This game is actually tonight. I believe this is Thursday night. Uh, Virginia at Georgia tech. Mm. The Yellow Jackets are 2-1 and one in the ACC with a win over Pitt. Remember, that team had to kind of fight to separate from Western Carolina earlier in the year. 
It's been a very tumultuous season in Atlanta, but they are at home against UVA, and it's an intriguing situation to be in. Well, they made a coaching change, and yep. uh, two for two for Georgia Tech. So two games, new coach, two wins. I think that certainly speaks volumes where the Cavaliers have gone the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. Lost Syracuse, which is a ranked team. Then they lost to Duke, lost to Louisville. Georgia Tech fresh off a three-point win at Duke. This game is at Atlanta. Mm-hmm. I drove past the stadium to show my kids Georgia Tech's campus on uh, Friday last week. Going Yellow Jackets. Mainly because I feel like they have got a new energy about them that is starting to just show volumes. And Georgia Tech got a lot of confidence. Different coach, different beat, different vibe, whatever it may be. But uh, Virginia kind of going, the to me, the, the wrong direction. There was a lot of people talking about. And I know their coach retired last year, so they're going through a coaching change too. You know, the beat with, Richmond. Uh, with Elliott, the uh, former uh, Clemson offense coordinator, I believe. Correct. So, they beat Richmond, and they should. Then they lose at Illinois, which has been a surprise Big Ten team, right? Then they barely escape Old Dominion. Should have been the first sign maybe things are awry. And then all of a sudden, three straight losses. I think it's going to continue on the road for the Cavaliers. I'm inclined to agree. I mean, I don't really have – any sort of deep analysis of this. I, I think when you when you talk about picking Sicko's games, you're talking about vibes. What are you feeling? What is the most fun? What is the most fun outcome? The most fun outcome is that Georgia Tech with an interim coach uh, wins a fourth game and then wins a fifth game and then wins a sixth game, goes bowling with that interim coach and then tries to justify making a splashy outside hire in the offseason. That is chaos. That is mean potential. That is fun. That is why Georgia Tech is going to win tonight. 40-yard line. Uh, this is one that's going to scratch an itch for you because it's not really a couple of teams that we talk about a whole lot. Campbell in oh, Jackson, man. Mississippi to take on Coach Prime and the Jackson State Tigers. So I'm glad you brought this up because uh, I know uh, I, the last couple of weeks I've forgotten to make a uh, pick, um, and I, this was going to be my extra point, and it's not going to count. It was going to be my extra point as well. Actually, are you so. kidding me? Yeah, and we were both going to go Campbell, and then, I, and then I was like, no, that game's got to be in the list. That game's so, got to be in the pick six. So the bad thing is, is as as we talk past this game uh, moving forward, I've got to find another extra point. But so I, I'm going to let you know where I'm going. I. I I am going to go Campbell because I thought this was a very intriguing game, and you know me too well to um, not give me this game. Mm-hmm. But I, I think this is uh, – Mike Minner has done a tremendous job. Remember Mike was a heck of a DB for the Nebraska Cornhuskers on a couple national championship teams. Long NFL career of the Carolina Panthers has moved up the road to take a job. And Malik Williams, our quarterback, is unbelievable dual threat guy. Playing at a pretty high clip. One problem I would say hangs on to the football maybe a little too long um, on the, the two or three games I've been able to watch. Jackson State's a little interesting to me because it's tough when you look at their schedule. You know, they beat FAMU, Tennessee State, Grambling, Mississippi Valley, Alabama State, Bethune are clearly the best team um, of the HBCUs, no matter which one you're looking at, the SWAC or the MEAC. And Coach's Kid, right? Um, Shadur Sanders, unbelievable. And now he's almost thrown for 2,000 yards already, 22 touchdowns, four interceptions. Offensively, they have that prime swagger, you know, they get going. They're going to have like 40,000 people show up to the game, so the home field advantage. Everything makes me want to lean Jackson State when I was looking at this, but there's something about Mike Minner. There's something about the way that he gets his um, team, you know, kind of motivated. I think Malik Williams can make a lot of plays. Mm-hmm. The one thing, too, Mike Minner, you know, he had the best, quote-unquote, recruiting class of all of FCS. He had guys that turned down FBS offers. Yep. He had a couple of guys, and I don't know with the NLI if that had anything to do with it because I've been to Bowie's Creek. There's no, there's no reason to go to Bowie's Creek. You could drive the streets of Jonesboro like three times, and you would have already did like ten laps around Bowie's Creek. So I'm just – I mean, there's really nothing there, but – Mike Minner's got things going. They've got nothing to think about but football. I think the Coach Prime and all the controversy, right, from a couple weeks ago, I'm swack, you're not swack, who's swack, whatever they were having the 
contest about, but I feel like Campbell has a great opportunity here to upset the apple cart and knock off Jackson State. Well, there are a couple of angles to that, right? I mean, on the one hand, HBCUs that go up against PWIs typically haven't performed super great, and they don't really win very often. Look at what happened. Florida A&M was clearly the second best team in the SWAC last year, and they went to Southeastern Louisiana, a team that a lot of folks were kind of iffy on making the playoffs until the last week and week or two of the year, and they got smoked. I got smoked, and Jackson State beat them 7-6 to six earlier in that same year. Um, you look at their schedule last year, and uh, the only win they had over a, a non-HBCU school was Delta State, a Division II. And then they went to um, the the Celebration Bowl, and they got they got blown out by South Carolina State. So I mean, there's there's two angles. That is one, the HBCU versus PWI angle, and then there is also the um, the angle of what happens when Jackson State gets into a fight. What happens when they're in a close game? What do they look like? Uh, last year, when Jackson State got stiff resistance. A lot of times it didn't go as well. It didn't go so well. ULM, they were in that game. They lost it 12-7. to uh, And then South Carolina State was really the only team outside of the month of September that gave them much. And they lost by three touchdowns. That all being said, I think, and actually probably because of those things, I think the Tigers have a point to prove that this is a different era of HBCU football. This is not what you're used to. This is not the uh, the the caliber of program that you're used to walking in and paying them two hundred thousand dollars and beating them ninety three to seven like uh, South Dakota State did to Prairie View A and M a couple of years ago. Or not? That was Arkansas Pine Bluff, not Prairie View A and M. It was Arkansas Pine Bluff. It's gonna be it's gonna be different. It's a different era. It's different talent. Sanders is a phenomenal quarterback. They also pulled in a fantastic recruiting class last year. I'm taking the Tigers, and I'm taking the Tigers to win by multiple scores at home in front of a big crowd. I missed that. Where's Chris Berman and uh, Tom Jackson just start chanting primetime in the middle yep. of it? Yeah. All right. All right, 30-yard line. Let's go quickly. Weber State at Montana State. All right, so I knew I knew that was going to be on the list at some point in time, and, man, I was trying to uh, – because you don't give me these ahead of time, so I try to uh, outguess what games you're going to give me <laughs> and try to click on these to try to at least uh, double-check what I'm going to talk about. But, uh, you know, the Bobcats, I uh, love the Bobcats. Great stadium, uh, great town. I uh, love Bozeman. A lot of things going on there. You know, not really if you look at some of the offensive numbers for Montana State. And, again, I know uh, Tommy Touchdown was there, um, hurt, whatever. Sean Chambers has been coming in. Uh, 40 is 67, 60% completion percentage, six touchdowns, but four interceptions. That would be the pause for me. Weber State, man, they have just literally rolled everybody. And this is a big road game. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Weber State to go yeah. on the road. Uh, Bronson Barron, old old B squared. I like. I don't know if anybody else calls him that. I like him old B squared. I don't think anybody in Utah no, calls him that. No. No one on the planet. I can email Steve Clowkey and be like, "Hey, do, do, do you do you do this?" Sh- you should. I, I mean, clearly, Steve's uh, a great guy, great storyteller. Ask him about the time um, he got uh, hung out to dry in a commercial break at a softball tournament when he was a young broadcaster. It's a great story. Uh, anyway. Hopefully he didn't get fired. But, uh, uh, he did I, not. I, okay, did not, so I, I've been in no situation. So, um, uh, but I'm going to go Weber State because you want me to go quickly. Yes, Weber State. I'm going Montana State. Okay. Uh, I just think, you know, being at home, they haven't had as big of a drop-off as I feared they would without Tommy Malott. Uh, it's, it's a good all-around team. Two great coaches, two great dudes. Uh, excited for that football game, but give me the Bobcats at home. 20-yard line, number 14, Syracuse at number 5, Clemson. Uh, well, that was about the only FBS game I thought you would go to, and I keep picking against Clemson, and uh, I keep being wrong. Uh, yep. Literally, every time I think I took Florida State, NC State, uh, if there's another state, I probably took them as well. So uh, this one I'm not going to go against. I'm going to cop out and take uh, Dabo Sweeney because every time I pick against Clemson, 
they win. Now, clearly, that means they're going to lose, and you should take Syracuse because I've been wrong on Clemson the entire year. I figure I'll be wrong again. But here's my theory. If they lose, I lose, and I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. So that's, what I, that's the only reason I'm going to Clemson. If I'm going to lose, by golly, they're going to take an L2. Is that, is that a breakdown you wanted to hear today? I didn't think so. <laughs> That's some hashtag analysis right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm also going with Clemson. At home, um, I, I think we're finally going to put to rest. So the you, you, you tried to – that's the bait and good. switch. You thought I was going to go Syracuse again and double, triple down. <laughs> that's garbage. Garbage. Hot uh, garbage. Here, here's a game going to be on national TV. Montana at Sacramento State. Do the uh, Grizz go down twice in consecutive weeks going on the road to first place Sac State? So, you know, Sac State's another one of those that I keep kind of going against and seeing when is it going to, like, fall apart for them. And they continue to slap me across the face with, uh, we're good. And, you know, I I felt good about my Eastern Washington pick there a while ago. I mean, when Brian McLaughlin kind of went on there and said, you know what, I'm going to take that too. I thought, well, there's two guys that uh, he follows that side of the country a little more than I do, but still two guys that pay a lot of attention and they wore out Eastern Washington, and it wasn't really that close. Yeah, and, no, that Eastern's not good this year. And, no, they're not, and they proved it. I refuse to believe it, but I believe yeah, it now. Yeah, I, I, I let you go with the Gunner Talkington. Yeah, okay, sure, whatever. But no, no that was always going to be the question. Well, let's too. trash talk Gunner after the fact that you didn't say anything last <laughs> week. I just big got, man Keith I just kinda, after the I just kind of looked at you, and I was like, okay. Big uh, big man after the fact, Keith. Because that was there. always the question. Was Is Gunnar Talkington going to be as good as Eric Berrier? And Paul Sorensen, Well, no, he's not going to be as good as Eric I didn't say he was as good as Eric like, can you, Well, But you need him to be as good as Berrier for that team to get back to the playoffs. Yeah, so, okay. And it didn't happen. All right. Well, that being said, I'm not going to go against Sacramento State. And Montana, it, if this was in Montana – I would have gone with Montana. That's also a great venue to watch a game, and I think the home field advantage there would be much greater than what Sacramento State's home field advantage is. But because Sac State's been able to play at a high level, I think they come in a lot of confidence. I think they want to prove a point, and to prove a point, they got to beat Montana, and I think they will. Grizz have a must-win game on their hands for the Big Sky Championship here, and uh, Sac State traditionally does not do well when the other team has their backs against the wall and plays like it. I think back to Austin P when they went out to Sacramento and just housed them. So give me give me the Grizz. Okay. Uh, goal line, Mercer, Chattanooga. You, I think you kind of leaned chat in our conversation. Yeah, well, I mean, the deal is I think, I think Mercer's the better team. I think when you look at overall things, my concern for Mercer is what we said earlier, so I'm not going to go all the way through it. But if Mercer allows chat to have outstanding field position, I think Chattanooga has a very good shot. That being said, I think Mercer, because of last year, a field goal away, I think they've got a point to prove. And I hate Chattanooga, so I'm going Mercer. I'm also going Mercer. All right, extra point. Um, I, well, I had to find one because you made me mad. Yeah, I was gonna you got it. You got to pick it. I've got it. We got to pick a big dog. Big dog, what you got? Uh, well, I don't know the big dog because I don't know what the uh, line is going to be, but I'm, I'm going Ivy League. Friday night football because I'm the only human being that watches it. So I need you to check. What is the Princeton Harvard? Uh, Harvard, according to Massey, Harvard by three. Mm. Harvard by two, actually. Okay, that's not enough. So I got to find some medicine. All right, you go then. Um, I thought that was going to be a touchdown. So I was, I was going to take a touchdown. Uh, Massey ratings show North Dakota, uh, seven and a half dog at home against South Dakota State, the number one team in the country. Playing at Alaris is different. They're going to be fired up. SDSU is going to rest on their laurels. Give me the Fighting Hawks to win it. I, I now I got to go throw up. The fu- <laughs> the former North Dakota State guy. Well, I'll tell you this: I've been riding the uh, Kansas Jayhawks all year. They're going to go on a road to Baylor on a two-game slide. Is is this? Am I the guy that always sticks with the team a week too long? Absolutely. If you not heard my picks, right? They're going to go to Baylor, nine and a half point dogs. Mm-hmm. They're going to go to Waco, outright upset Kansas Jayhawks. Okay, sounds good. It's prediction time. Yes, prediction. Something big. Bold. Sometimes right. I can see the future. Most times wrong. Did that go the way you thought it was going to go? Nope. Never dull. I'm trying to write all this down. This is shocking. Was that bold enough? This is bold prediction. Prediction? Pain. All right, real quick. Last week, I believe uh, 0, 0 for three. I don't think anybody did. I think yet. we were all we were both over. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even want to recap it. All right, I'm going to go first. I'm going to take. Uh, since week two, Will Huzzy has not seen the end zone. 
Will Huzzy will find the end zone versus the Sanford Bulldogs. That's my first prediction. Uh, my my first bold prediction is uh, ETSU gets multiple takeaways off Sanford this week. A team that does not throw uh, two interceptions and what five fumbles lost, so they don't really turn the ball over very much. Uh, I think ETSU changes that. Can, by the way, can we bring back? They used to be called the Hard Rocks in the late '60s and the early '70s. I think that's awesome. Can we bring that back? Hard Rocks for on defense. Just call them the Hard Rocks. No, I'm no, not. I'm not. A, no, you can't. No, I'm not going to. Uh, I'm going to let you roll with that. I'm going to try to make it stick. Let's well, I was going to say, if now, uh, listen, I'm all for if it works, I'll jump on. We know how that is. Well, it's like North, North Dakota State has a nickname for every position group. So uh, just, I'm, I'm used to that. I'm used to being able to call them something other than the defense. It's called so the NDSU's defense is. Code is that green. sort of like uh, VMI? Is the uh, that was it? The Red Storm, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah. So you're going with that? Call them the Hard Rocks. It's old school. All right. What do you think about this? What if what if what if I go uh, the Carolina Hurricanes tonight are three and zero and rolling through teams. They're going to travel to the upper uh, northwest of Edmonton. Can I take, oh boy! Can I take my one and two Oilers as an outright uh, winner? Sure. Uh, yeah. Here we go. Bold prediction. Here we I, go. Got, I got another one for you. <clears throat> Suck it, Mike White. All right, go. We know we know about VMI's quarterback struggles. We know about Citadel's offensive struggles. They are going up against Furman in Western Carolina, and VMI and the Citadel will score 17 or fewer points combined in those two games. Wow. Furman might pitch a shutout. I I love that take. Uh, last last one for me. I'm gonna go the Detroit Lions. Snoil Og, baby. At Dallas. Um, I was going to go Tyler Reddick uh, winning by a second or more at Homestead, but then I realized he wins at Homestead a lot. And also, Daniel Ricardo rode into the Circuit of the Americas on a horse today in, like, full American guard, like an American flag, button-down shirt, big Stetson hat. Give me Daniel Ricardo to match his season best finish with a top five at the U.S. Grand Prix this weekend. I have no idea anything Keith just said. That being said, here we go. We have ETSU Sanford. It is a 3.30 kick homecoming, 2 o'clock coverage on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Monday, we'll be back. We're going to recap that and the yes. huge Mercer Chattanooga game. Huge. It's in the top one-tenth of one percent of all college football games. San oh, almost said something wrong. What are we? Jane Keith? Sir. Buccaneer Sports Network. Oh, you got to be kidding me.